0: In January of 1977, Wayne LaPorte was returning home from work when he would have a pair of extraordinary encounters with anomalous lights. He moved to the Indian Trail area of North Carolina in 1972. Two years later, he developed an interest in UFOs after several neighbors reported seeing strange lights passing low over their housing development. He would focus his efforts on UFO sightings in the Charlotte and Indian Trail area and found that it was not just UFOs that were appearing, but a whole plethora of phenomena, including ghost lights, strange glows on the ground, Bigfoot-type sightings, UFO occupants, men in black cases, and even sightings of black panthers and baboons. In UFO research, we have lots of strange terms for things. For instance, a flap is defined as a large cluster of sightings over a period of time. A great example of a flap is our series on the 1973 year of the humanoids, or the 1954 flap in France where witnesses saw UFOs and occupants that wore diving suits. Beyond the scope of flaps, there are certain areas of the world that have distinct paranormal flavors and identities. John Keel called them window areas, or thin places. The most notable area you know by name is the Flesh Pedestrian Ranch, yes I'm using that term, in Utah. But it's not the only one. Dozens of stories featuring Bigfoot associated with UFO activity have been documented on Chestnut Ridge in Pennsylvania. In southern Missouri, Ted Phillips and a crew of researchers have been documenting strange occurrences in and around a location known only as Marley Woods. In New York, the famed Hudson Valley falls in the category of the window area. Wayne the Point believed he was living in the window area. It was 6 p.m. on that fateful night that he left work. As he waited to turn at an intersection, a bright white light caught his attention. It was flying low, changing from bright white to golden yellow. The point turned the car around onto the highway just in time to see it disappear behind some trees. For some reason, Wayne felt uneasy after the encounter, and decided to meet with a neighbor for 30 minutes before heading home. On the approach to his front door, he felt uneasy, as if someone was watching him. Quote, Turning around, I saw a glaring ball of white light, the apparent size of a quarter at arm's length. From the orb's center flowed crimson streamers in a radial pattern. The spherical light was hovering motionlessly and not making a sound. After viewing it for about 45 minutes, I turned and went inside to get a witness, and moments later I returned with my then-seven-year-old son. Now... The spheroid was cherry red, and it appeared to be translucent, as if you could reach through it. As we watched, the light seemed to shrink into nothingness. Lapointe and his seven-year-old son were not the only ones to observe this strange phenomenon. A neighbor's son confirmed the sighting, and led Lapointe to conclude, using trigonometry, that the light was 17 feet in diameter and hovered just 130 feet in the air. The North Carolina investigator would go on to report subsequent encounters with similar ball-light phenomenon and even connected them with the geology of the area, and to a number of gold mines as well. In 1978, the APRO Bulletin would carry a story over seven issues, a story that would rival Terry and Gwen's time on their ranch. It's the story of Clearview, Colorado, otherwise known as the Rocky Mountain Ranch. Welcome everyone to this very special episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast.
1: This report is unusual in several ways. No names of individuals associated with the experiences are given, and no information is given about the location of the area. The individuals describing these events have not subjected themselves to polygraph examinations, personality inventories, or other methods of personal assessment. The story you're about to hear may seem familiar. Most window areas offer up similar stories of UFOs, poltergeist phenomena, humanoid activity, etc., Much of what we know about the Rocky Mountain Ranch was published in seven successive editions of the APRO Bulletin throughout 1978, though it has been mentioned in other publications such as The Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp and David Webb's Humanoid Catalog. It all started with a phone call to Dr. John S. Durr, a seismologist with the U.S. Geological Survey in Denver, Colorado, and APRO's seismology consultant. The caller was secretive, not wishing to divulge their name or address, but ultimately agreed to meet with John Durr in his home. The two individuals were business partners. Jim was middle-aged, served in the U.S. military as a public information officer, and had a career at the time in biological sciences. Barbara and her husband John had purchased the property with Jim. John was in a management position of a larger corporation. They had two teenage sons, both of whom experienced what the ranch had to offer. After their first meeting, Dr. Dirk conferred with Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle, the Director of Counseling and Testing and Professor of Counseling Services at the University of Wyoming. He was also APRO's psychology consultant. Sprinkle had built a reputation for working with experiencers using regressive hypnosis. He had been one of the investigators of the Carl Higdon abduction, as well as a handful of others. Through nervous inflections and quiet voices, Durr and Sprinkle heard their story and agreed to do a full-scale investigation of the ranch, which included meetings with ancillary eyewitnesses. By the 1970s, John, Barbara, and Jim pooled their money together and bought a ranch in the Rocky Mountain area with promises to renovate and establish a working cattle ranch. The property sat adjacent to the woods and featured a natural spring that fed into a pond, a large amount of land for grazing, and a ranch house that was in decent shape. There were some puzzling details that remained. The previous owners abandoned the property years earlier. It looked as if they had just picked up and left. Even more startling was the disappearance of a building on the property that no one seemed to want to talk about. Almost immediately after moving in, Jim and Barbara started to experience unusual events. First, it was a hum that seemed to engulf the entire house. It was a very loud, very distinct hum that was most often heard during a windstorm.
0: The first unusual occurrence after we moved onto the ranch was a strange hum. We went out and disconnected all the electrical wires, and at first we just thought it was an unusual occurrence. We had done the wiring ourselves, but the house hummed most particularly during a windstorm and for some time afterwards. I found out later that the ranch may be undermined with a large amount of coal mines. It was one of the largest coal areas in early Colorado history, and supposedly one of the largest is on our ranch, but you never found any traces of it at all. And I've really looked, I've walked every inch of the land. I still believe that there are some kind of pumps underground that pump the water out due to barometric changes that raise the water level after a windstorm. It is almost invariably associated with the wind. Uh it's quite loud and distinct. And on the occasions that we've seen UFOs the hum usually comes along and it's quite similar. The house does this continuously during a windstorm and usually for an hour or two afterwards depending on the length and intensity of the storm. It was humming the last time we were there about 6 months ago. And I'm sure if you go there and could spend in excess of eight hours. You'd hear it. The most practical time to hear it is about six or seven o'clock in the morning, almost religiously. It's basically an alarm clock.
1: There were areas in the house where you could hear it perfectly. It was so loud that they were able to make recordings.
2: It sounds almost like a turbine of some kind. The tape doesn't give a clear sound of it. It would come on sometimes louder and sometimes softer. Once uh, the first year at Christmas, it came on so loud, we had difficulty talking and hearing each other. That's the only time it came on that loudly. It never came on quite that loudly again. My husband was the first one that heard it. We had just finished moving the last few loads in and Jim and I were still in town picking up some more things. John had gotten to the ranch first. The children were out of friends. The minute we walked in john said there was something wrong with the wiring and there's this terrific hum in here and we had put in all the wiring ourselves we worked on the house for three months before we could even move in there was dirt all over it because the doors had blown open and it was just terrible jim had uh put most of the wiring in and we thought maybe we had done something wrong so we shut off all the breakers we could find and That didn't stop it, so we went out and turned it off at the pole, so there was no electricity at all coming in from the pole, which is in the center of the corral.
1: Things escalated quickly. Footsteps could be heard walking around the ranch house. They would hear pounding on the doors and windows, accompanied by the sound of footsteps running away. Whatever it was, it liked to play with the car doors, too.
0: I moved to the ranch in October '75. When we first moved out there, we had cattle on the ranch, and I was watching the cattle and remodeling at the same time. And on approximately October 16th, we have a dam on the northwest corner of the property, and the cattle were braying very heavily that night, and I went out to see what was disturbing them. Well, we have a large coon hound that was watching the property, and the dog was extremely afraid of something. He was on the porch and wanted in, and I grabbed a gun and went out. Cattle, uh, range cattle, don't usually come close to you. They usually give you a wide berth. They were packing me so tight that I couldn't hardly get through the middle of the herd. I walked about halfway to the dam, and uh, above the dam was this large lighted object. It was orange and trapezoidal shaped and looked much like the top of a lighthouse i was going to see what it was and i got about halfway there when i realized that the cattle were upset the dog was upset whatever it was i just didn't need to know that was during the cattle mutilation days and i had a smaller caliber rifle and i decided to leave well enough alone so i went back to the house and just filed it away as something interesting that happened And just tried to forget it. Shortly after that, we had several cases where the dog wouldn't go outside. Doc's not afraid of anything, except we found out later he's afraid of bears. We have a mountain lion on the property, which he aggresses very rapidly, so we couldn't figure out why the dog was afraid. Shortly after that, Barbara moved out there, I think, and John was commuting back and forth to his office and He wasn't there a good part of the time. We didn't have the heat on very adequately, and it turned cold, and we had electric heaters set up all over the place using the electricity to heat us. We were all in one bedroom in the back watching TV. There were three of us. Steve, a friend from Boston, Barbara and I. Well, I found out they had a large reward for the cattle mutilators. That night, I was going out tracking them. I had a large 12-gauge shotgun, and I fancied myself the great hunter, and I was going out to catch the cattle mutilators. Well, I laid down on the couch, and I was unable to get up. It was like paralysis, like I was drugged. It was about 8.30 at night. Now, Now, Barbara, you tell what happened to you.
2: We were watching TV, Steve and I, in the bedroom that was uh, fixed up as a sitting room. And without any outside stimulus that I know of, my blood pressure and my heartbeat went up. I do have a high blood pressure problem. I saw spots and had difficulty breathing. I thought I was having a heart attack. Steve panicked and I was trying to get Jim awake on the couch because I really thought that was what was happening. Also, I have a perceptual problem with direction. I do not know North, South, East or West, but all of a sudden I knew exactly where I was. A feeling I have never had before and have never had since then. My thinking pattern felt different. I don't think logically. I'm a very emotional person and things that popped into my mind were just like pearls on a string and went right down to the end. I remembered things I had completely forgotten and that frightened me. And by that time I was screaming and Jim came to from whatever his problem was and he couldn't seem to talk and I was trying to tell him what had happened. And while I was getting it all out, the only thing I wanted to do was leave. Now you have to realize that I loved that place and some part of me still does. I had no place that I wanted to go, but my immediate feeling was get out, get in that car, and go anywhere. And I wasn't at the point where anyone had to hold me down, but I was having to hold myself down. I really wanted to run anywhere. And Jim got me calmed down and Steve was in a panic. And shortly after that, John showed up and I started to tell him what happened, but I couldn't talk about it. Every time I started to, I would stutter. Uh, Jim then started telling what happened to him and when Jim started telling him, uh, then I was able to talk. That was the first strange thing that happened to me. Something like it had never happened to me before in my life. I've never lost control. You see, even drinking, I watched very carefully what I drink because I might do something wrong and someone might laugh. But after this, I was upset for days.
1: Then they started to find mutilated cattle on their property. The evidence left behind suggested that something big and hairy was responsible.
0: Shortly after that, the oldest boy, Joe, had his friends out from Denver. They were going out through the woods. This was a Sunday morning. And they found our first mutilated cow about 200 yards from the house up over the hill. They came back in a panic. They were both 16 years old and it was snowing heavily. And we decided the first thing to do was get into town and get the law officer. Boys were pretty upset, and we took some time to talk to them because they felt like something was following them. I assumed it was natural paranoia. We went out, and I followed the route. We found huge footprints that followed them all the way from the cow to the horse barn. And the footprints were even in the soft manure inside the horse barn. They were, I guess, 18 inches. I didn't measure them, but they were quite large. What I guess you would call a Bigfoot footprint. Then immediately I decided to go get the law officer. I went to the nearest phone and called law officer and I told him I wanted him out there right away. He said he would be out there next Wednesday. I explained the footprints. He said, well, he couldn't make it. but there was a bad snowstorm and he didn't show up the next Wednesday. When we went out the next day, all the footprints and the snow had been removed. Even our own footprints. All of them were just gone. That was pretty upsetting. And I was pretty angry with the law officer by that time. The mutilation was discovered early Sunday morning. The boys came back around 9 a.m. and the footprints were there all day Sunday. But Monday morning they were all gone law officer didn't show up which angered me wednesday when he was supposed to show up he still didn't show up and we still had a mutilated cow the udders were removed surgically the sack under the udders wasn't perforated one eye was missing one ear was missing and that was it there was no blood all the blood had been removed and there was no tracks in the snow around the cow it was just there mutilated John states that the rectum was also removed.
2: There were also some funny-looking markings in the snow, and we found out later they were caused by owls. We found that it took two weeks after a mutilation before any of the wild animals would even touch it.
0: Fourteen days after the first mutilation, a friend of ours from California, he's a forest ranger, he stopped to visit... We went out walking and showing the ranch to him and other friends, including a photographer named Roger, who'd been hired from Denver to take pictures of the mutilated cow. We found our second mutilation, a bull, as we were walking over the property, and the bull wasn't ours. Subsequently, I went into town and called the law officer. He said he would like to talk to me, so we met at a restaurant in town. I asked him why I hadn't heard from him and why he wasn't trying to solve this. He explained to me that they knew what the mutilations were, and that they had known for some time. They only report one out of four, and in this county alone, there had been over 400 reports by that time. It was done by extraterrestrials, and they had spoken to the FBI about it. I told him that I couldn't believe it. I said that I couldn't believe. That an intelligent race could travel across space, but do the do some of the things they had done to the cow and the bull, stretch my credulities a little too far. I told him that if he couldn't solve the crime, at least don't blame it on something like that. I made an enemy of that man, and quite frankly, I didn't care because we had lost two cattle. The photographer asked us if he could come out the next weekend and bring a friend, uh, a guy named Harry. These two, Steve, who worked for us, were standing in front of a log cabin about 10 o'clock at night when they heard a strange noise coming from the cistern, which is southeast of the house and about 60 yards up the slope in the direction of the burn spot. All of a sudden, after listening to this noise, a huge dark object pushed its way through the barbed wire, came straight at them down the hill. They all came running into the house. I went running out right away to catch whatever it was, and then I thought they were putting me on. We subsequently went back and traced the route, and sure enough, there were footprints. I removed some of the hair from the fence, noticing that it just pushed its way through the barbed wire. didn't even jump the fence, but just by force alone spread it and went through it. There were long strands of hair, I collected the hair and got photographs of the footprints coming to the house. By then I was getting more and more upset about the activities that were building up continuously over a period of time i sent some hairs down to denver to a biogeneticist for examination his report later was no known species by then i was collecting books and discovered that other people had sent in hair and nothing had ever come of it and one law officer was encouraging me to keep my mouth shut about it because he didn't want a full-scale panic in the county i told him i wasn't interested in panics I was interested in finding out who was mutilating my cattle.
2: It got very heavy after that. The closest you can define it is uh, an emotional attack of some kind. Everyone went into absolute feelings of fear and depression with no stimulant. I have very tractable children. It is amazing how well they get along. But everyone was fine with everyone. Just a lot of Paranoid incidents, one after the other.
1: The activity at the ranch seemed to follow a set pattern. It would start to include a new element, run with it for a while, and then introduce another one. It started with a hum. Then came the hairy creatures. And now they had UFOs on their hands.
0: By this time, I was sleeping on the couch in front of the door with the gun and staying awake most of the night to catch whoever it was. I was beginning to suspect that somehow the real estate man was involved in it, that he was trying to make us break the contract so he could resell the land. I was lying on the couch about 2 a.m. There was a humming noise again, and I raised up and looked out the window. The disc came out of the north across our property, very slowly, right in front of the windows, and went up the gully past the whole front of the house.
2: Now, I didn't see the disc. What I saw was the glow from the disc. My bedroom was on the other side of the house, on the other extreme of the house, and I could see a glow over a slight hump. I screamed, and Jim came running to tell me what he had seen.
0: By then, I was getting a little more upset, and I went into town. Two of our best friends owned the restaurant, and we sat down and we talked to them about it. They then opened up and told us about the property and some of the unusual occurrences. They told us about the people down the road who had just moved into the county and had mentioned an incident just prior to that. Prior to our moving in out there, their cousin and nephew were going down the road past our property. A disc allegedly came off of our property. It wasn't ours at the time, and it just followed their car. They went down the road, turned the corner, and pulled into their house. They ran inside, and while all the people in the house watched, the disc hovered over the car for like 45 minutes. Later, she went into town and talked about it. After hearing this, I went back to the law officer and apologized. I had to eat crow over the fact that there obviously was something going on. We subsequently patched up the friendship, and I think we are so-so friends now.
2: He's been very supportive and coming out to help whenever we've had problems.
0: And he moved out there by us shortly thereafter and told me that he, frankly, was quite scared, but that it was his duty. He didn't feel that he could do anything, but that if we needed him, he would come. This made us feel a little bit better.
1: While activity continued to escalate, Jim and Barb started to learn more about the area from some of their neighbors, including one woman who frequently called the police to report strange lights over the property before Jim, John, and Barb had moved in. It was becoming clear that something didn't want them there.
0: During this time, I felt that something was trying to scare us away. We heard a slamming noise and I went out to our car but didn't see anything. Then I saw the trunk light on the dash of the Cadillac. The trunk was locked. I opened it and saw that the pin switch had been bent over to the side. Something had opened and closed the trunk and bent it when only I had the key. I again filed that as something unusual. Something would continuously come up and beat on the sides of the house twice and run, you know, like Halloween. Again, I decided it was the real estate man. I went down and talked to the law officer again. He requested that I not shoot anything. He was afraid that whatever it was could shoot back harder, much more undesirably than I could. So it continued progressively for some time after that, beating on the walls and running. I would run out and I would see a big hairy thing running. I was tolerating it to a certain degree. One night, though, I did not. I went out, and one was running beside the corral, and I shot it. Barbara came running out, and when Harry and Roger came back from town, we went tracking to see if we could find what I had shot. It didn't seem to hurt it at all. There was a little flinch. I'm a good shot, so I know I hit it. There was no blood, no traces, no signs. We pursued it onto the property next to us. Then I heard the most unusual sound. They said it was like a double sound. It was a whine with almost a beeping noise intermixed. The closest sound I think I could describe it to is the South American primate of some time. Some people said it sounded mechanical. It didn't to me, and we roamed around looking, but didn't find anything except we seemed to be led in a certain direction. We didn't find anything. We returned to the house, and I notified the law officer that I had shot one. He gave me hell and told me I was lucky this time, and he didn't want anybody killed. They stopped bothering us quite so bad, I think, after that. We came home one night after shopping. The three boys were alone at home. That same sound was going on to the east, and one up by the barn in the west it was like they were calling back and forth it was like they had this intelligent pattern communication it was broken syllables you know not really like any animal sounds i'd ever heard it was just their communication and i joked and i said well least you could do is come down and help us carry the groceries when we went in the three boys were hidden in the back bedroom just Absolutely terrified. From what they said, something had been beaten on the house continually that night. Well, I had a pretty good temper, which I have lost only three or four times in my life. I stormed outside. I don't even remember exactly what I said, but most of it can't be repeated. I think I threatened that if we can't have the land, then you won't either. I'll blow the whole thing away. I meant it too. I would have destroyed it before I would have moved the right Then, I was mad. I went into the house, had some coffee, and then calmed down. Then since our septic tank and toilet weren't working, I went outside, and while outside this voice just came out of nowhere and said four words. Dr. Jim, we accept. I think that was the first time I was really shaken. Rather than just angering me or disorienting me, that was all just like an FM stereo. It came from everywhere. I came in the house and I was was just pretty upset.
1: As far as introductions and first impressions go, that probably wasn't great and might have led to some property damage, which begs the question, is it possible to sue Bigfoot for property damage?
0: One night, it destroyed two cars. Barbara has a green Cadillac and station wagon. One night when we went to leave, the transmissions on both cars were inoperable. We had to have both cars repaired. Again, I assume they did it. I've never had two transmissions go out like that on two good cars. I again felt that we were being driven off, and I was still trying to believe it was the real estate man. Both cars required total transmissions as all the gears were shot.
1: Then there was the encounter with the black box.
2: I wasn't feeling well that night, and I went back to lie down in the dark for a while. I pulled the drape partway on the window, creating a triangular area. There were some patches of snow outside, and from where I was lying on the bed, the triangular area was lit up by a background of snow patches. I lit a cigarette, and as the match went out, I realized that the triangular area wasn't lit up anymore. I scrambled down to the foot of the bed and looked out. I could see only a middle section of something that looked like a box. It was black and very shiny. It wasn't lit, but looked like it reflected light. There was a rounded shape around it. It looked like something was carrying it under his arm. It was close to the window, within two or three feet. Uh, there's a line of trees behind the house, and it was between the trees and the house. The trees were about four or five feet from the house. I ran in to tell everyone what had happened, so, and after that, we all ran outside, and as usual, no one could find anything. Now this has happened more often than not. By the time you tell someone and get your coat on, et cetera, you couldn't find anything. But we found that if we didn't turn the porch light on, we could get out quickly enough to hear something.
0: There were many smaller incidents that were unnerving. A friend of mine from Boston came out, but I finally had to tell him to go back. He was becoming paranoid and thought that whatever it was had come to get him he was going to go out and let them get him because he couldn't stand waiting any longer he had several friends come out who were harassed one way or the other or terrified the car door opened and closed when it was locked i went in and talked to the law officer again if he really felt we were in any danger i would move the boys He said that nobody he knew of had been hurt. They'd lost horses, a lot of cattle and animals of one kind or another, and people had been terrified. Mutilations were going on at a much heavier rate during this period. This was uh, 1976. Mutilations were occurring damn near weekly. About that time, the school bus driver, who was watching a large ranch for the owners, had some cattle of his own, moved back to Nebraska after being terrified. His son's yearling was mutilated, and the boy evidently saw something that terrified him.
2: Now, His mother came and asked if we had seen anything like her son had seen because his father hadn't believed him. He had seen something very large and was really scared. I didn't want to discuss it because of the children, but said that we had had some strange occurrences.
0: Also, during that period, two airline pilots and the son of one of them came out and wanted to put a landing strip on our land in exchange for my use of their plane. I agreed. About three weeks later, one of them and two others were killed in a crash nearby in clear weather. The plane was found in the daytime, but I don't know if it happened in the day or the night. Others who have inquired deeply into the mutilations, I understand, have disappeared too, including the editor of a magazine who was never seen again. I also understand that two National Guard interceptors were up close to here and went down while in pursuit of a UFO at night. All of this was a little unnerving, so I decided I was going to stop my own inquiry. I was going to just quietly mind my own business. The forest ranger, David from California, came to visit again. It was late at night, about 2 a.m. Almost all of these incidents have happened at night. We have never seen anything during the daytime. Peggy and Harry were also visiting. Nine disks landed in the front yard and I got a very clear view of them. They matched exactly one of the pictures I had seen in the book that I have. Harry and Barbara were at the window, and David was asleep in the bedroom. I called for David, and I started out the front door. I was walking toward them as Barbara and Harry watched from the window.
2: Harry and I were watching from the window, both from the same window. What I can't figure out is that Jim and I saw such a large array of them But Harry saw large, dark football shapes as if they were blocking part of the view. We were trying to see what would happen in the whole area and watching Jim walk out, which I didn't want him to do. I had no awareness of what happened as far as what anyone else saw from that point on. My face was close to the glass and something hit me in the forehead, a forceful impact, like something hit me. I was knocked back off the couch and fell to the floor. Harry saw a light out of the corner of his eyes, and Jim said he saw a flash of light, but I didn't see it. Harry
0: yelled to me, and I I said I saw it. Harry said, it's Barbara, it's Barbara, and I went running back to the house and found her in the middle of the floor.
2: The next thing I remember after looking out and seeing them was Jim putting a flashlight in my eyes to see if I had had a concussion.
0: While I was working over Barbara on the floor, they disappeared. I thought about it subsequently and wondered why they didn't do it to me since I was the one walking toward them. But then I began to understand that they did the most practical thing that could be done to get me back inside and get both people away from the window. And I think I really began to respect how clever they were. Then I began to suspect that maybe the government was doing it to us. Except that there were a lot of unusual things. For instance, David had been paralyzed during the incident. He could hear us calling, but couldn't get up until it was over. But then he went out walking with me, and what we call ultrasonics, the extremely high-pitched sounds, were going on out there and continued all night. David was sick then for three days. The sound would sometimes give us headaches, but not all of us at once. To different individuals at different times.
1: Jim would continue to go back to the law officer, and every time he did, he learned more about the area and what people were experiencing.
0: I went back to the law officer and had a talk with him. And he started telling me about some of the incidents that had happened again and about how he had pictures. He said they have a box and he had seen it on occasion. He had seen blinking lights where there shouldn't have been any in trees and such. He said he was out on patrol one night and he saw in a group of trees this box that was blinking. He said he didn't wanna go in alone, so he raced back to town and picked up another law officer to go with him. When he got back, trees were gone. The box was gone, everything was gone. He thought they had gone into the ground. He had seen things go into the ground before. so he told me. He is reasonably convinced that they just go into the ground. It sounds completely crazy. There is this one piece of what you might call physical evidence on the ranch. There's a big burn spot on the top of the hill, approximately thirty five feet across where nothing would grow for the first year. It's beginning to grow a little now. On a compulsion the older boy, Joe, and I drove up there one night and parked at the circle. In the trees a bright yellow light. Not bright, I guess, a little dim but yellow. Looked like an old car headlight just shined on the car. The backs toward the trees. We got out and walked over and there was a box on the ground. I told Joe to stay back about 10 feet. It was making a buzzing sound like a zzz, and there was like a light inside of it, but not on it. Hard to describe, really. It was night, but there was a full moon, and as I walked to about four feet from it, it changed its tone entirely. It sounded like a bunch of angry bees. The sound went up, so I backed away, and I told Joe to go back to the car and watch me as I walked up to the box. We then walked back to the car, and I told Joe that whatever happens, do not leave the car. Then I walked back out, and the box was just gone following that is the part that barbara prefers that i leave out
2: absolutely
1: are you leaving it out because it's personally embarrassing or because it's terrifying too
0: incredulous that's the part that is too kooky frankly and she requested that i didn't and i don't think that close encounters of the third kind are really interesting to anyone except to whom they happen
2: if something should happen something should go wrong and our name should be connected with this i i could face it but i couldn't face this other situation and i'm too psychologically upset almost destroyed by this whole thing anyway and i'm trying very hard to keep from feeling that i've experienced something i didn't experience or did i experience it and can't remember or or what
1: at this point barbara is shaking so badly she can hardly light her cigarette She has been practically chain-smoking since the beginning of the narrative.
0: There were quite a number of other things. I think they fit pretty much into a pattern. One afternoon, I went out walking in the woods, and I saw a bird that was about three feet tall. I got one clear side of it. It was brown and had three feather-like appendages on its head. We have a whole set of animal books, and I went through them trying to track it down. I didn't find any such animal existed on earth as I knew it. I tried to follow it and it went around those rolling hills and it was just gone. I came back to the house and as I was coming through the fence, there was a slight snowstorm. We had this huge coon hound and as I approached the fence, the kids saw me coming. They could just barely see me in the snow the dog saw me and came running when he got to the fence he stopped and started barking and growling when he got close to me when i passed he picked up some kind of an odor and wasn't letting me through the fence That scared the kids and they went running into the house thinking that something was coming they could just see the shape on the hill the dog was still not letting me through the fence even though i was talking to him It took three or four minutes of hard talking before my own dang dog would let me through that fence. And I had been crawling all around where the unusual bird thing was. And I really thought about what it could be or how it could be. And I've come up with no data at all, except that it was just a very unusual animal. And then it was just gone. And I don't hallucinate, you know. I mentioned that I took acid, but I've never had a conscious hallucination in my life that I'm aware of, and I'm sure that if I had, it would be over more than birds at the ranch because I had never had them off the ranch. One night, very late, I was lying on the couch. It was a particularly black night no moonlight no stars and i told barbara that there was not much sense in me staying awake because i couldn't see anything anyhow i used to wait for the chickens to crow to go to sleep really messed up my schedule because i felt that somehow i had a duty to protect everybody i slept with a shotgun at night when i lay down on the couch there was just enough light remaining to see a little i looked up and right at the window. There was no place to stand as it was a high window was the outline shape of a man just looking at me. He had on some tight-fitting apparel. I couldn't see any colors, just a black outline. I got up and I went to Barbara's bedroom.
2: He rapped on the door. Uh, most of what I've told you is what happened to me. This is the other thing that happened to me and me alone. I had the same thing. The blood pressure, the heartbeat, the difficulty breathing. I was sitting straight up in bed when Jim rapped on the door. I was trying to light a cigarette and I dropped the match on my bed in my state of terror. I opened the door and he came in and said that he had seen something strange out in front and wondered if I was all right. I told him I was having the same kind of symptoms and that I was very concerned I was developing a heart problem. But I had gone in and had tests, and they said no. I was very tense, but nothing else was wrong.
0: She was very upset, so I sat down on the bed and asked if there was anything that I could get her. I took her pulse and sat and talked to her, because when we have had really close contact at the house, it is hard to describe the feeling. People get naturally upset. They don't see anything, but it's all part of the pattern. I figured she would be upset when I went to the bedroom, and she was. I had put a big black chair in front of the front door, we were sitting in there just talking and the front door opened and hit the chair with a bang. I jumped up and went running in that front room and the door was closed again. I went back to the bedroom and I sat down on the bed and I was telling her that it was just the wind or something. The next thing was this voice that came inside my head, just like a loudspeaker. It said, We don't need to open your door to come into your home. I don't remember if that was the exact wording. And I told Barbara what I had just heard and she looked at me in a funny way.
2: I thought he was losing it. I'll be honest, he knows I thought it too. Then a
0: noise started in the front room like a buzzing noise, like bees.
2: It came all the way through the house to right outside my bedroom door, and this I heard too. She
0: was holding on to my arm until she gave me black and blue spots, and I frankly didn't want to get up and go into the kitchen to see what it was. I was glad she was holding on to me, and the sound just went away then. Nothing more. I was sure that something was going to come through into that bedroom, but it didn't.
2: We were going into town very early one morning, just after daybreak and just at a sharp bend in the road. I think Charlie was the first one that saw it. He said, look at that big thing over there. I looked and Harry looked and it was cone shaped. I couldn't tell you the size because I don't have the ability to judge size. I didn't think of what it could be. I thought weather balloon Whatever, I didn't really pay attention. I told Jim about it. He had gotten some books at the time and he had one that had a picture of a a cone-shaped one and that's exactly what it looked like.
0: From the description I got from all three of them, it was immense. It was hundreds of feet, at least across. It was six times the apparent size of a farmhouse a quarter mile away, you know, in comparative sizes. It was a huge ship.
1: With every encounter, Jim and Barb would grow more invested. Every time Jim experienced something, he would knock on windows to get her attention so that they could both experience these things together. On one occasion, one of the Bigfoot-like beings mimicked Barb's movement.
2: I had only one other sighting of the animal that they described to you. I assume from what I saw later that what I saw carrying the box was, in fact, the animal only because it looked like that would be what it was. And that's just an assumption. Now, we've had no less than 20 people see Bigfoot at the ranch. Jim stepped out onto the porch and without turning the porch light on, I was in the dining room and he rapped on the window several times without turning around. And I saw him and I went to the door and opened it and came out behind him. He led me into the porch and said, if you want to see one, I can show you where it is. He started lining up the trees. The living room light was not on, but the dining room one was cast in sort of an oblique light. I uh, leaned forward to look out, and he said, right between those two trees, look very closely. I don't have 20-20 vision with my glasses on, but I could see it. It was hunched over, and As I leaned out to look at it like this, using my hand to shade my eyes, it leaned out and went exactly like that to me. It was large and it it stooped down and it it leaned down and and it, it went like that with its hand, just like I did.
0: The only night that we saw a large number of them was the night we picked up the kids at school. We were going back to the ranch. Uh, Do you remember when that meteorite came down over Colorado sometime last year? We got a very clear view of that. It was right ahead of us on the road. It exploded and came down right in front of us. It looked to me like it hit the ranch. We got to the ranch and talked about it and heard about it on TV. I would swear it was magnesium. It flared that brightly.
1: Jim also knew how to antagonize them.
0: We have some friends from Texas who got a pretty big jolt at the ranch.
2: They have had some very serious problems develop because they were there when a very bad thing happened.
0: Trust me to tell what I want to tell, will you? All right. We've been guaranteed confidentiality. The man's a professional. I know how to upset them. And a lot of the things that scare Barbara involve taking punitive action against us. I found that when I had guests that I wanted to see something, I could get a stack of wires and go out and get very busy with them, like I was putting something up. We would go back to the house and watch, and within a short period of time, they would be up there checking out what we did, and everyone could get a view of them. I did it several times as a sort of half a joke. Dan, the friend from Texas, was given the old, you're not (laughs) you're not giving me that kind of junk, are you? Electronics is his field, and he is a computer expert with a large company, and he is impressed with his own self-importance, if you know what I mean. Well, I went up deliberately to stir him up. I found that certain elements very much upset them. Silver being the main element. I have a large collection of Native American silver jewelry and I discovered inadvertently that they shied away from silver. So I went up to the circle, the burned spot I spoke about, and I stuck silver bracelets in the ground along with the wires like I was really putting something intense up. I came back to the house and we were all sitting playing Risk. I didn't know what would transpire, but I hoped I would upset them. About two in the morning, the lights went out in the house, right on schedule. The voice came out of nowhere again, and it was an FM. It was obviously intended to be terrifying, it sounded like a computerized voice, you know, very mechanical sounding. It was coming out of every radio and TV speaker. We were sitting right in front of a console stereo, and the voice came out of it, and I could almost recite the words exactly. They're just burned into my memory.
1: Attention, we have allowed you to remain. We have interfered with your lives very little. Do not cause us to take action, which you will regret. Your friends
0: will be instructed to remain silent concerning us.
2: That's very close. That's just
0: about the words. Well, Dan was extremely thrilled when the lights came back on because he said, now I'm in my field. He asked if he could take apart our TV set and stereo.
2: He was quite good electronically. He guaranteed that anything he took apart, he could get it back together again.
0: And he started to dismantle it. He went through the whole unit, and he said that he couldn't figure it out, but that his technicians in Texas, when he got back, would. He checked, and the stereo was off. The phonograph was on when the lights went off, but the radio receiver part was off. It was on phono. We found out that the type of transmitter it would take from even close range to cause a signal of that intensity to go through the house would be beyond our means to even put up.
2: But Dan was still sure it was a hoax. His wife and children were all upset and crying, and Dan took his daughter off into another room and told her that they needed to figure out if it was a trick or not. He told her to go back out and tell us she was frightened and wanted to leave immediately. He thought that if she acted upset enough and if we were playing a trick on them rather than ruin the whole vacation, we would just admit to things. I got very upset and said they couldn't start back to Texas in the middle of the night. I, I said I would call a friend in town and see if they could stay there instead. Then Dan talked to his daughter and they all calmed down and they ended up staying the night. And he just told us this weekend that He knew if he was going to ruin the whole vacation, and if it had been a trick, we would have admitted it to him. He had decided to save his own sanity that it was somebody else with a massive capacity pulling a hoax on us and that we were gullible enough to go for it. Needless to say, Dan never found the trick. He went over the whole house. He even dumped the laundry bags. He went over everything. I was glad the house was clean. But uh, really, we didn't mention the fact that often when the wall pounding was going on or when there would be a larger number of discs or the animal would be around more, quite often, all the electricity would go off. I absolutely freaked out if anybody wanted to go out and check the breaker on the corral until after things had calmed down. We would check the house breakers and eventually go out to the corral and the breakers would be on out there. We developed a system of nobody going by themselves and nobody making a big issue out of something that at least two people didn't see or hear. Because it was too easy to get paranoid. Once I went out the back door and heard this horrible sound in the corral and screamed and freaked out and came running in. Everybody went out with flashlights and It was a cow that had gotten trapped in the corral. It's very easy to get into that and I could see my children doing it. It, Everything strange that happened, a sudden windstorm that came up, a sudden fog that would roll in, it all was the space creature. It It was becoming an absolutely paranoid thing and it was very frightening.
0: I think we suffered as heavy on the mutilations as anyone I had heard of. We lost six cattle in two years. That is a pretty heavy amount of loss. In light of the fact that I was watching that land so carefully, I was determined to catch whoever it was. The reward was so high, I wouldn't have minded it at all. It now comes close to half a million dollars. The paranoia had gone down now. Two years ago in the county, you didn't dare stop on the side of the road. Those people were carrying high-powered weapons, and they would shoot anything that moved. It was really tense, and I could see the law officer's point of view, but I don't think you solve it by sweeping it under the rug when it's continuing to go on. The mutilations haven't gone down at all. Remember when the big mutilation thing was going on? Well, they haven't gone down at all.
1: When you have a problem you don't know how to deal with, sweeping it under the rug isn't good, but what do you do instead?
2: I wish someone would come up with a very neat package to answer that.
1: Throughout the course of the interview, Jim kept alluding to an event that Barbara refused to discuss. Jim was persistent. He had to get it off his chest.
0: Will you remove me from my promise?
2: Oh, Jim...
0: Trust me. All right. Because I want to get it out of my mind, too, and then just forget it.
2: All right. Go ahead.
0: Because it's necessary to develop what bothers me. Well, the night that we saw the box, I stopped at the top of the hill and looked down into the trees. There was a light in the trees. I told Joe to go on to the house, and I walked down into the trees, and I think that's the closest I ever came to being afraid. I didn't feel fear in that sense, but my legs wouldn't move. I had to force my legs to take me down because I didn't know what I would see. I walked down to the light, and there were two individuals waiting for me in the light. The light didn't come from anywhere. I can't describe it. It's just light. They obviously weren't nervous, and as soon as I walked up, they spoke to me by name and told me. I can quote it exactly. How nice of you to come. It was as if I had been expected. Down below, possibly 50 to 60 feet from us, was a disc on the ground. It was lightly lit, just light enough to see. I can describe it exactly. I've burned that in my memory. I was up there maybe five minutes. They apologized for the inconveniences they had caused us, told us that a more equitable arrangement would be worked out between us, whatever that means. I wanted to ask a lot of questions, but found that I didn't, you know, like, where are you from? I didn't ask any of that. There are several things they asked me not to repeat that have no significant meaning at all. They're unrelated to anything. I think maybe they were just checking to see if I would keep my mouth shut. I told them that if they were mutilating cattle, it was a pretty foolish thing to do, draw that much attention themselves. I complained about the damage to the cars, and they had never admitted to doing any of it. One thing they did do was that they mentioned the box and that I did the right thing by backing away from it. It was what I called an implied threat. They nodded and approximately 20 to 30 feet away, Bigfoot, as I call him, got up and walked toward the box. The box changed tone and and he dropped. They said, As you can see, They are quite lethal. They said that they would come back and talk again. There were no goodbyes. I just somehow felt it was time to go. They did tell me that my memory wouldn't be tampered with. I think that is about it. I didn't ask any of the questions that I figured I would want to ask. Somehow they seemed juvenile. And I had no doubts that these were two men. They were men. I could describe them almost exactly. I had seen them before, this is the thing I I hadn't mentioned. I hadn't gotten a really close look, but the two that spoke to me were not identically the same as those that I had seen before. They were similar, they were definitely humanoid. Uh, About 5 foot 6 inches tall, I would say. They had on tight fitting clothing, you know, kind of like a flight suit. I noticed the clothing changed colors from brown to silver, but I don't know how. They were very fair, had large eyes, and seemed perfectly normal, completely relaxed. They had blonde hair with something over the head, but I could still see their hair. They had something like a flight suit on, skin fitted, the hair was obviously blonde, wasn't long. It didn't make much of an impression, really. The thing that impressed me the most was the eyes. And if I were judging what they were, I would say they were humanoids. They were different from people, but not different enough that you
1: couldn't call them people. If you saw them on the street, you would stare at them as being different?
0: Right, but not freaked out by them. Their facial features were finer. Their eyes were larger. They would have been Striking, but almost effeminate, almost delicately effeminate, completely self-assured. They obviously were handling the situation with me very well.
1: Did you turn around and walk away from them or did they go first?
0: I went first. We talked. There were no goodbyes. It was just like, well, we're finished. And I walked off. I thought about all of the things I would have liked to ask But I couldn't figure out why. Then I couldn't figure out why they had even bothered to talk to me. It was obvious that I was supposed to come. They didn't say anything that would indicate why, except a more equitable arrangement.
2: You weren't feeling well that night, I remember.
0: I was feeling very badly. Jim has a heart condition, too. A myocardial infarction. I didn't particularly want to go up the hill but i felt somehow compelled to go up nothing that happened was phenomenal i can't figure out why or how they didn't give me any earth shattering information or even admit they were mutilating the cattle the only fuzzy thing i found out for sure is that this big thing bigfoot obeys the commands i found that out i found out the box can be lethal If they were telling me the truth, it was all in all a very pleasant conversation. We had no trouble with them after that. This happened approximately in January of 1977. The part that was interesting was that they would see us again, and I was really excited. I came back and told everybody that they would be down to the house to visit one day. It was a very pleasant conversation, and I would define them as diplomats. They were very capable of handling what they had to. They were very smooth, and if I were judging by the ones that I had seen before, they were larger and they were more humanoid. If anything, they were half-breed? I don't know. They looked enough like people that, in a laboratory, we could produce people that looked like that. That was my first thought, that somehow the government was trying to do this. They were completely self-assured. They spoke vernacular English. I was pretty rocked because I did see the disk and it was quite clear. I walked on back to the house and it wasn't very long that I was gone. I'm sure I wasn't with them very long. I was excited over the more equitable arrangement. I guess I had some illusion that they were going to give me the cure for cancer, a billion dollars or something. At least pay for the car's transmission. Shortly after that is when Barber saw the other types of UFO, the ice cream cone shaped
1: one. After Jim's encounter, things changed on the ranch. It became quieter, but he would have one more strange humanoid encounter before it was over.
0: I was asleep on the couch. Uh John was there because it was a weekend. It was about two in the morning. I always like to do stuff at two in the morning. And I sleep very soundly as a rule. I woke up completely awake, wide awake, and I couldn't move. I was lying on the couch looking out. There are French doors in front of it. I couldn't talk, but I could breathe all right, and I wanted Barbara and John to get in here and turn the lights on and see it. I was forcing the air out of my larynx and making strange sounds. They could hear me, but they weren't coming. And this thing was just looking at me, and I can describe it vividly. All that was working was my eyes, and I couldn't move. It was approximately seven feet tall. Very skinny arms and legs, extremely skinny. It had an object on its chest. I could see the shaping of it very clearly, like a box, but it wasn't flat. It was, you know, pointed. Had three hoses on each side. This creature had a thing over its head, like a space helmet with a plastic covering. It wasn't at all terrifying. It was more or less pathetic in appearance, almost helplessly pathetic. It was just looking at me in the same way that you would look at a patient on a table, not cruelly or indifferently, just looking. I kept making these noises and it just vanished. It wasn't there anymore and I said, oh god, I'm hallucinating, I've lost my mind. Then I decided, no, I really couldn't be.
2: John and I got in there just after it had disappeared, so we didn't get to see it. The reason it took us so long was that John couldn't get me awake, and he was torn between running to see what was happening and trying to wake me up, and we lost a few seconds that way. By the time we finally got in there, it was all over and John's had some experiences on his own, but I'll I'll leave that to him.
0: I think the reason that it is all so interesting to me is that we were headed toward a more amicable relationship with them, you know? After talking with them, the disasters had stopped, the pounding on the house had stopped, the terrorism had ceased, and after talking, I I kind of liked them. They were pleasant and whatever they were, I hadn't decided they came from space and I'm still not sure of that. But then again after that, the hostilities started up again. That was extremely disorienting. The situation got extremely tense with no apparent reason. No disaster happened after that, but from the time that I talked with whatever it was on the hill until I saw the thing at the couch. Everything was running so smoothly.
1: Jim, Barb, and John would choose to leave the ranch. Though they felt the beings did not wish them ill, they still felt like something did not want them there.
0: It was almost exciting that we could live peacefully with whatever was from wherever they were from.
2: I think this is what finally broke me because everything was going so peacefully I thought we were going to be able to stay, and I really loved that place, and I thought everything was going to smooth out, and then it didn't.
0: Then after whatever it was, it obviously wasn't humanoid. It wasn't a humanoid form at all. It wasn't hostile. It wasn't threatening. It wasn't dangerous. After that, everything went back to double doses of tension. It got much worse the tension, not necessarily the activity. It was a thing of uh, we we knew we were unwanted. It's a gut level feeling that's hard to describe really. We knew that something wanted us out. Barbara felt the same thing. Shortly after this sighting we had an accidental fire with paint on the porch. It, it had nothing to do with them but on top of all this feeling uh, that was it.
2: I've often read about what they call the fight or flight, and I've often wondered which one I am. Well, I've decided I'm definitely flight. The only reason I didn't leave right then was that the children were there and Jim was there and how can you leave someone? But it took me an instant to make that decision. It wasn't a gut level decision. I froze instantly and then I very stupidly grabbed a candlestick and ran out to the porch. Naturally, what he needed was water, but I didn't know that. I really thought we were being attacked. I just decided that I couldn't take that anymore because I would faced the fact that if I ran out of there, I'd probably die. I figured that I was getting far off the end of the stick when going out there to die didn't seem that important. And I thought it's time to leave before you lose it all.
0: This leads us back to another incident. A friend of a friend who was in the army came out to visit the ranch. He knew nothing about it. This was just his trip to the country. He spent the night, but he wouldn't go into the woods. He felt something was very wrong and he didn't want to go out. We didn't press him and he, and we didn't discuss anything. The next morning when we got up, he was already up and was walking across the fields He would walk stiltedly out and then turn and run back. He was doing that back and forth, and everyone thought he was crazy. When we asked him what was going on, he said that every time he got near the house, something took control of him and forced him to walk back into the
1: fields. I can see you are really concerned, but what made you finally decide to take action?
0: I felt the events that had occurred at the ranch were significant enough so that someone of serious intent should be looking into it. Because I'm reasonably sure that there is a permanent installation there. I could go into a lot of reasons, I suppose, but the main reason is that our ranch overlooks a military installation. We have a perfect view. That is the only reason I can think of for a permanent installation being there. I've read Hynek's book I inquired into Dr. Condon. I know people who knew Dr. Condon. I checked into his character. I found out that the CU project was basically a sham, at least in my own opinion, and that he was certainly not someone to whom I would have wanted to pass on my findings. I checked into the Herbert Shermer affair, the state trooper, and I found out how he'd been treated. I knew how we treated him because I was additionally a PIO officer for the Air Force and I knew how I dealt with that sort of thing as a security officer. No one with good judgment wants to be made a and stock. I go back periodically. We had some guests from California and they wanted to go out and see what was happening. and I took them out and we spent the night at the ranch. And We looked over again, and the reason that I think that I really wanted to bring into someone's attention is I'm reasonably sure that they play rough. It's not big brothers from space who are interested in us as spiritual beings or whatever. I'm absolutely convinced that they couldn't care less if we live or die. We're nuisances, although I think they may be more humanitarian than we are. And I can only assume that they are watching us, watching our military potential, because I can't conceive of anything else. I have no doubts, but what they are mutilating cattle, none at all. The Cattle are being lifted into the air, they are being drained of blood, they are being mutilated, and they are being lowered back. If they wanted to do just biological research on cattle, they could have disposed of the remains without being found. And they are left where they are found it is obviously some kind of intent to instill fear and then you know they've been pretty successful the people are extremely fearful and about the story that the helicopters are doing it i figured out early in the game that the government is sending helicopters that have nothing to do with the mutilations They have intensive radar nets over that area, and the law officer has has been kept only moderately informed. The reason for what they are doing, I think, scares me a little.
2: All I want is a simple, uncomplicated life. And if I never have to hear from you again, well, that'd be all right. I'm not trying to discourage you, but that would be fine. I don't care what you do other than don't involve me. That's all I really care about.
1: Following her experiences on the ranch, Barb started going to therapy. She just wanted to put it all behind her. Jim, on the other hand, was more curious. He returned to the ranch on a number of occasions, sometimes bringing company to experience what the ranch had to offer. He never felt fear. At least he wouldn't call it that. There was no danger, only a feeling of helplessness. The feeling of a hopeless situation that could wear you down. Talking about their experiences is how Jim and Barb came to validate what had happened to them on the ranch. He was curious about how they entered the mind, how they could manipulate objects. He wanted answers and was willing to work with others to get them. But sadly, this is where the work of Dr. John S. Durr and Dr. Leo Sprinkle ended. At least for us it did. There were no follow-up articles after the initial seven-part series was published in the apro bulletin in 1978 The pseudonyms were still pseudonyms the stories just stories and that was where the mystery rested until 2021 in an interview with mystery wire kate grabowski MUFON's state director for colorado claimed that it was her family that lived on the rocky mountain ranch that it was located in elbert county colorado and that she had stayed there a few times So my sister and I spent a handful of times out there. It's kind of a long, convoluted story. My mom worked for United Airlines, divorced my father in 73, and met a gentleman in 75. He and his family, so he and his wife, were separated at the time. She had a new love interest. They had three sons. They owned the ranch property. So the two younger sons and the father lived with us during the week to commute back and forth to the United Airlines Computer Center. And the two younger boys went to a bigger high school in Colorado, Cherry Creek High School. The oldest son stayed on the ranch. We experienced some really scary, frightening things out on that ranch. Strange boxes, helicopters, menacing people, paranormal activity, circles on the ground, the mutilations not only of horse but of sheep. There was a sheep, a horse, and many hundreds of cattle almost occurring daily. So, my passion is research and interviewing these folks. I know people will ask me why research something that happened over 40 years ago, giving away my age, but the answer to that is, it's personal to me, number one. Number two, the activity is still occurring. As I've learned at this conference, there's other ranches that encounter strange boxes and strange noises and Sasquatch creatures. There's white Sasquatch. They called them white fuzzies out there at the time. So we haven't solved what this is yet. We had confirmation and things through NORAD and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation was involved. And if you know, Elbert County just is not too far from, you know, Colorado Springs Air Force Academy and Camp Carson and that. It's unclear if there is information forthcoming about the Rocky Mountain Ranch. All we do know is that there exists a ranch in Colorado where strange things happen and no one stays for too long.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Special thanks to our voice actors for this this one. Uh, The narrator was played by Spencer Worth Davis. He's from the What If podcast and Finding Quantum Quest, and he is our editor. You may well recognize his voice from the last episode. The part of Barbara was voiced by Willow Truman from the Nonsense Bazaar, and the voice of the aliens is by Brian Hasty of the Double Density podcast. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, buy some merch, support us on Patreon, or check out the original sources that we used to make this episode, check out the show notes. There's a lot of good stuff in there, including the link tree that will lead you to most of that stuff. Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Special thanks to Spencer Worth Davis for editing Megan Lagerberg for our logo, and the great Desdemona for all her hard work on this podcast, including the art uh, in our Tea Public stores. Many of the designs were designed by her. And finally, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or pounding on the side of your home in the dead of night. In gray, we trust.
2: Sorry, I wish you could stay, cause I know to say David media